we're trying to pick things that stand out as different because that's where this passage is sort of an assumption that lies behind what Paul is writing this morning. He assumes that you're going to stand out as different. I, I don't know if you've had that experience of standing out as different. Um, I remember I, during my studies, I ended up in Sweden at one stage and uh, was working with students there. And I said, oh, I'm off to see Bob. And they looked at me quite strange. Who? Bob, you know, the lecturer that came from Australia with me. You mean Professor Newell? Like as if you'd ever call a professor by their first name, let alone by a nickname. There was just this huge cultural gap between the two of us <laughs> and I stood out. <laughs> uh, I remember at um, uni, uh, we were in part of a Christian group and we would uh, on Fridays get together, afternoon, bit of a chill thing, we'd play touch football and the oval and we stood out. So what would happen is that we end up with a bunch of regulars who weren't part of our group, but they'd come along, they'd notice we were playing, ask if they could join in one week, and then they just realised that we played differently, like we were competitive, but, but we actually cared for each other and we treated each other well, and so they'd sort of start to come back the next week and the week after that because they just noticed this group of people was different. And it turned out because we followed Jesus. Uh, when people are shaped by Christ, they stand out. And we heard even in that passage from Deuteronomy 4, uh, it's actually what God intends. He gave his people a bunch of laws. He spoke from the mountain. He told, spoke from the mountain and gave them laws to live out. And he said, look, if you live that way, the surrounding nations will see you and go, wow, what sort of God are they following? It's just something that God expects to happen. And it's what God expects to happen here in Colossians. If you think where we've been, uh, one of those rules of thumbs in teaching is that you always assume that the people who taught before you are incompetent. And so since I haven't been here, I just have to recap where I think Colossians has gone. Um, (laughs) Colossians has been revealing this new identity we have in Christ, hasn't it? That these Colossian Christians, they started out their journey receiving Jesus as Lord. That is, they discovered that Jesus was the image of the invisible God, that he ruled all of creation, he ruled all of the new creation, that he in his body had brought peace between God and humanity. He was so important and so they, they said, right, he is the one I should trust and I should live for. They received Christ as Lord. And now Paul is writing to say, well, just as you received him as Lord, continue to live with him as Lord. And and that's what's been spelt out in these last couple of weeks. The, the, The image was to put off an old humanity that was built on lies and selfishness and identity in my culture or my race or my status in society and instead put on a new humanity that's shaped like Jesus, a new way of life where everything we do, whether in word or deed, is done for the Lord. So Colossians 3.17, we've been basically spelling this out over the last few weeks. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so in recent weeks, you've been looking at what that looks like in marriage, uh, in parenting, Uh, what it looks like for slaves and and people who are working, what it means in every circumstance to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And here's the thing, if people live that way, if you choose to live that way, you will stand out. So what do you do? 
what do you need to be doing to prepare, prepare for that? I think that's where Paul goes next. And, and what he says in this passage is really quite simple. He says, you, you guys need to be speaking to God about outsiders before you speak to outsiders about God. It's basically what's going on in these verses. Speak to God, that is pray. Speak to God about outsiders and then you'll be able to speak to outsiders about God. That's where we're going. How about I pray and then we'll get into Colossians 4. Heavenly Father, please help us to see what it is to pray, pray persistently and pray because as we are marked out as different, we will have a chance to talk about you. Please give us wisdom from this morning and equip us to love and serve others well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, chapter 4, verse 2, the basic message is where to speak to God, where to pray. 4, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And I think that language there is really important. As you look through the concepts in these verses, you realise it's not like... This moment was sort of a last-minute throw-in for Paul as he was writing the letter. You know, he'd, he'd written everything that was really on his mind and he was about to close out the letter and goes, far out, I forgot to mention prayer. And so he throws in this sort of last-minute uh, sentence. It's not like that, is it? I mean, I know my prayer life can be like that. That's a bad thing. But this is actually quite deliberately connecting back to the rest of the letter for Paul. First of all, Paul began the letter by praying, didn't he? Back in chapter 1, he said he prayed continually for the Colossians. He also said that he prayed thankfully there and he prayed watching the message about Jesus going around the world and changing the Colossians' lives and changing, bearing fruit all over the place. So it turns out that here in verses 2 and 3, Paul is actually preaching what he practised. Can you see that? This is Paul simply saying, what you see me do, back in chapter 1, is what you should be doing as people who do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. In fact, I think the language is even more deliberate than that. Um, Kids, uh, has anyone done the activity where you have to circle in Mark 14 the words watch and pray? Oh, we've got someone over here. So I'm interested to know how many times does the word watch come out in Mark 14? Oh, I haven't done that one yet? Okay, I'll come back to you then. You've obviously done something in preparation. Anyone done that activity for us? Oh, well, there's some more lollies for me at home. Um, (laughs) Mark 14, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to go, he's about to be arrested and taken to trial. And he turns to his disciples and he says, watch and pray. And it's exactly the language that Paul uses here, telling these Colossian Christians to pray watchfully. Pray watching. What does that mean? Well, it's the opposite of the disciples in the garden, isn't it? They fell asleep. I have a confession to make. Um, When Joss and I first got married, we would pray at the end of the day. We'd we'd read our Bible together just before bed, read, pray, go to bed. That stopped pretty soon after we had kids. And there was a very simple reason for that. 
I could not speak intelligible language at that time of night. I, I started to pray gibberish. Um, I, I remember one of the prayers, something along the lines of, Father, thanks for David. We pray for her new child. Um, give the vet wisdom as they treat her psoriasis. Everything was muddled in my head because my brain was not in the game. I wasn't, I, my body was awake, but my brain was just checking out. And that is not good prayer. That is not the sort of prayer that Paul is talking about here. Prayer isn't mindless repetition. It's not a meaningless ritual. Prayer is asking God to change the world. Prayer is doing business. It's not just doing business with God. Prayer is actually doing God's business. I reckon when you look here, isn't it? Watchful prayer praise, looking at the world and seeing what God has planned for it and asking for that. Can you see that? That's why Paul prays, he says to speak to God about outsiders. It's because he knows God's got an agenda. And when you think um, the context that Paul is writing in, there's a bit of debate as to exactly the when and where of this letter. Um, I'm again going to ask intrepidly. Any kids done the map? We've done the map? Fantastic. Did you manage to find Colossae? So we've got Colossae on the map. Well done. And then did you work out where Ephesus is near? Is it far or near? Near. Okay, so it's just next door. So one of the places that people suggest this letter is written from is Ephesus. Paul spent two years in Ephesus doing ministry, so it's a nice near location. It'd be quite natural for him to hear about the Colossian church. Maybe he wrote the letter from there. The only problem is, in these verses, he says he's in prison, and we don't know of any time in Ephesus that Paul was in prison. So people have another option. Do I, uh, oh, did you go and get your lolly? Um, <laughs> Do we have another person who's found Rome? Anyone found Rome? Yes. Is it near or far? Far. Over in the top corner, isn't it? There's Rome. So other people suggest maybe Paul was in Rome. Do you want to go and get your lolly? Um, So the thing with Rome is we know that Paul went to Rome at the end of the book of Acts. Um, He was in prison in Rome and he was there for a decent amount of time, long enough to write a letter. Sort of fits. It was about 61 AD. Here's the only problem. The city of Colossae was demolished by an earthquake in 60 AD. So I actually went there not so long ago. Here's a photo of Colossae today. And this is pretty much what Colossae would have looked like, maybe with a bit more rubble, with a recent earthquake, in 61 AD when Paul was in Rome. So it's, there's only a very small window that Paul could have had to write the letter. So it's, it's a possibility. So anyway, I've been chewing over this as we work through this letter again and reading people, and here's another possibility. Uh, you see, Paul, after he was in Ephesus, he travelled to Jerusalem. Um, it was part of his journey. And he went to Jerusalem uh, and visited the temple in Jerusalem and he actually caused a riot because people thought that he'd brought non-Jews into the temple and they were pretty upset by that. He had this reputation that he was preaching not just to Jews but to non-Jews as well and bringing them together and they thought that he was encouraging non-Jews into the temple. Now it wasn't true but it was serious enough that the Romans actually arrested Paul 
And then they, Paul wasn't even safe under Roman arrest because there was then a plot to have Paul killed. And so the Roman uh, guardian bloke actually organised for Paul to be shipped off to Caesarea. And that's this next little one which takes forever to get there. Um, But he actually went to Caesarea and he spent two years in a prison cell in Caesarea. Paul's sitting there, he, he sort of gets a trial, you read about it, this is all happening in the book of Acts, which is by a historian named Luke, um, you can check it all out. He's there sitting in a prison, he's appealed to Rome, but it's not happening. And it's just possible that that's the context that this letter is being written. It certainly is a time when Tychicus is um, with Paul, and Tychicus is the guy who seems to be carrying this letter. Um, all the pieces seem to fit. If that's the case, and he's been arrested for preaching the mystery of Christ for which he is in chains. Can you see? There's a whole lot of things that fit together. If that's the case, I just want you to imagine for a moment how bold this request is that Paul is making. Paul is sitting there. He is stuck in this halfway house. His case is not progressing. um, And he just longs not for freedom. He's not saying pray for safety from the Jews. He says, I just want a chance for the door to be open and that I could preach Christ clearly. That's what I want to see happen. I mean, what a lunatic to be in prison and that's your biggest request. Or is Paul seeing the world the way that God sees it? Is he not just doing business with God in prayer, but actually doing God's business as he prays? Do you see what's going on here? Paul looks at the world. He looks at the Roman emperor, the most powerful man at that time, and he doesn't see a guy who could get him out of prison. He sees a guy who needs to hear about Jesus. And he's just longing for a chance to go and preach to the emperor. That's prayer. That's seeing the world and knowing that Jesus is in charge and that his message is the most important thing and longing for it to change lives. And look, it took God a couple of centuries before he decided to answer that prayer, but he did change the heart of the emperor and it's changed our world. There's a whole lot of things in our society that are only possible. Like Christian concepts like caring for the weak and treating everyone human, every human equally, those don't come from Greek philosophy. They come because God changed the heart of the emperor. He did the unimaginable thing and saved the emperor and changed our society. Uh, kids, did anyone write down names. The kids had a, a little task they could do was to write down the names of people they couldn't imagine becoming Christian and pray for them to become Christian. It's tough sometimes to do that, isn't it? I know I lose persistence in prayer. But if we see the world God's way, that's the sort of thing we can pray for. So how does it come down to us? Uh, how should this encouragement to prayer affect us? Well, can I ask, when you were driving to church today, what was on your mind? 
I know there's some finals on this weekend, so I'm pretty sure that for a few people that was a big thing floating about. It's a long weekend, so maybe you're still working out plans this afternoon, tomorrow. There's all sorts of stuff to be thinking about. Here's an invitation. As you're coming to church, why don't you pray for the preacher? Why don't you pray for them to preach clearly the gospel? And why don't you pray for people who will be visiting or who don't know Jesus yet to have their lives changed by the gospel? Sometimes that can seem quite impossible. You know, the, the, the preacher praying, praying clearly part can seem quite impossible. Um, but God can do amazing things. God has big plans for this world and he wants us to be praying. Speak to God about outsiders. Ask that they would hear clearly about Jesus. But also, be ready to speak to outsiders about God. That's the other thing going on in this verse, isn't it? Notice how Paul just assumes there will be times when every Christian is going to get the chance to talk about Jesus. And I know that happens. Like, I know if I go to a party uh, and there's alcohol and I'm not having as much as everyone else, people will notice and they will ask. Uh, When Joss and I were dating... It wouldn't take long. People started to ask, you guys are dating but you haven't moved in together. Why is that? Uh, People ask about my attitude in sport. They ask about my attitude at work. I know from experience, I get the chance to speak about Jesus. And Paul knew these Colossians, they're going to live for Christ, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. They're going to stand out. And so what they need, apparently, is wisdom. Wisdom to make the most of every opportunity. And it sort of makes sense, really, doesn't it? Because you just know when the opportunities are actually coming often, don't you? I I have that experience as a minister. Uh, I know there are certain contexts, particularly when I'm meeting new people, and basically there's going to be a conversation. uh, Sam Chan is an evangelist. He describes it as it's like the plane that's spiralling down and ready to crash. It's just inevitable and you're just waiting for it to happen. And it's the same in the conversation. You know, they say, oh, so what do you up, get up to during the week? Oh, yeah, I, um, I work for a church. Oh, what do you do with that? I'm a minister. And silence. So I've learnt that I need to prepare for those conversations. I need to think ahead and, and be wise and have a plan for what to say. So I've found that quite a good thing that I say at that point is, oh, uh, do you have a religious background? So I'm choosing something that's not too confronting. I'm not asking them to divulge their deepest secrets. But it's a bit bit, bit encouraging them to keep talking. I'm saying this is a good topic. I think this is a topic worth speaking about. Are you interested? I like to think that it's sort of a question that's both gracious, it's gentle, but it's seasoned with salt. It's encouraging someone to keep this conversation going and see where it leads. And that's what Paul is encouraging us to do here, isn't it? Think ahead, be wise, and, and seek those conversations which are gracious but salty. And look, I, I know you might hear those sorts of illustrations and say, oh, but I never can think of those sorts of things in the situation. That's what I'm saying. I don't think of them at the time. I have to plan ahead. <laughs> I have to think about conversations I've had in the past and think, oh, what can I do better next time? How can I take better advantage of that opportunity when it comes? That's what Paul's encouraging us here. Pray, speak to God about those outside 
so that then you're ready to speak to those outside about God. That's the message of the passage. Now, I could wrap things up there, uh, but I actually want to take the chance to issue a special invite because we, we don't... Uh, we didn't really plan this sermon to sort of sit anywhere in particular in the series, but I feel it's such a significant one as we think about launching Sure Hope. Um, November the 4th, it's, it's a huge opportunity to invite people from outside of the church to hear about Jesus. That's certainly what we're seeing as a church launch team. Um, we see it as a great chance to invite friends. You know, I'm, I've got a running group and there's a bunch of people that I'm, I know I can say, look... I've been telling them all about what's up, why I'm here, why I moved to Victoria Point, why I'm, I'm living in this area. It's a great chance for me to say, hey, um, do you want to come along? Uh, I've been telling you all about it. Why don't you come and visit? It's our launch day. It's something special. Uh, maybe the same is for you. I, I want to ask you three things from now until the 4th of November. Can I ask you, first of all, to pray? Can I ask you to ask God for doors to be open on that day? that people will be open to coming along and people will be open to hearing about Jesus. Uh, pray also that we'll be clear. Uh, I'm not just having a launch day, we're having a launch season because that just gives a few more chances to invite people along. Um, so that whole month of November, pray that I will clearly explain the gospel in each sermon. That would be great. God does amazing things. Pray that he'd be doing them in that month. Uh, okay, two... Will you invite others? Uh, will you be, be wise and intentional in your conversations in the coming month uh, looking for opportunities to invite people to hear about Jesus? So um, you probably know some people who live in the southern Redlands. I don't mind if they're Christian or not Christian. I don't mind if they go to another church. I just want them to know that there's somewhere they could invite friends to come along to or they could point people towards where they know they'll hear about Jesus. And so I'd love them to come and visit us at some stage just to build some trust. And this is a good opportunity. So can you think about the people you know? Maybe you have to be a bit intentional in that invitation, especially if you haven't seen them in a while and they're non-Christian. Maybe you need to have organise a barbecue beforehand and just catch up so that you can invite them. I don't know what it is, but, but out of this passage, I just feel like I've got to encourage you. Seek opportunities where you can. Um, please do use it. And the third thing I want to say is please come along. <laughs> um, because this isn't my church plan. It's not even the launch team's church plant. Uh, this is the fruit of your work, our work as a church family for 11 to 12 years. You have been praying towards this point. Praying that there would be a church started in the Southern Redlands by this congregation. It'd be great to have you come and share that moment and rejoice with us. We'd love to have you along. Please book the 4th of November. I'd love to see you there. How about I pray? Heavenly Father, we do pray for those we know outside of the, uh, your church family who don't follow Jesus, don't know him yet, be at work in them. I think especially of those that often we think it's just impossible that they'll ever come to know Christ, please convince us that that is possible. And Heavenly Father, we pray for ourselves and the readiness to talk about Jesus and make us aware of those conversations and those moments where, yeah, we find it hard because we stand out. Help us to be ready to take the opportunity to speak graciously and with salt, inviting people to, to hear about Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.